Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the third episode of the Blue and White podcast. I'm your host, Liam Gutman, and as always, we have our other host, Jagger Van Bretter, out here today. Hey, everybody. Hey, so this week we're going to talk about our just one favorite prospect for each team from the West, and we'll go over what happened in the NHL in this past week, which was a lot more eventful than last week. So I'm going to start with someone that actually isn't a signing, but definitely the big news of the day, since it is today, Friday, July 20th. Jacob Truba is the first arbitration hearing that actually got to a hearing today. Indeed he did. So arbitration's always a bit controversial because you've got a team who is arguing for basically everything bad about a player, their own player, to try to drive value down. So it's never a very pretty picture, and you often hear teams or players afterwards where the relationship has more or less soured and the player does not stay long after. Yeah, I don't know how a relationship can really stay the same after two hours of just them bashing you and everything that's bad about your game. Yeah, well, the arbitration hearing for Truba started at 8 a.m. in Winnipeg, and the official is what was deemed as like the proper end was over six hours later. Oh, even better. Six hours of ripping into him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's uh, after that, there's 48 hours from about 2 p.m. Winnipeg time, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So 48 hours from them. So Sunday at 3 p.m., if there has not been a settlement reached ahead of time, then the arbitrator will give his ruling. So the way it works is if it's a one-year deal, then basically the club can either accept it or walk away. If it's a two-year deal, they can simply accept it or they can request or they can basically change it to being a one-year deal with the second year null and he becomes an RFA after that one year. So the, the yeah. person who deems that too, since it's a player-elected arbitration by Truba's camp, it's the team who chooses whether it's a one- or two-year deal initially. So they decided that when the hearing started, whether they thought it should be a one- or two-year, and they just have to go from there based on the ruling. Yeah, and like we were saying, uh, Trupa would be a UFA if they chose the two-year option, and uh, he'll still be an RFA if, he's, if they choose for the one-year option instead. So you got to imagine that if Winnipeg can't lock him up long-term right now, like between this 48 hours, then they just choose the, the one-year Oh, definitely option. that. I, I can't see the logic in letting him walk as a UFA. Because even if it's a contract they don't like, say he is awarded $7 million and they don't want to pay him that, especially with a lot of new contracts coming up next year, there is, without a doubt, a trade market for Jacob Truba. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, that's the big news of the day today. So then we'll just get into the, what different teams did. And we may as well start with Winnipeg who re-signed one of their other big free agents already, and Connor Hellebuck. He, he oh, will yes. be a bit of a goalie contract um, tentpole, basically, for other goalies now in the league, such as a specific Tampa goalie who was nominated with him for the Vesna this year. See, you would, you would think that, but there's so many... So many articles about talking about how the NHL still doesn't know how to pay goalies. Oh, it doesn't, but you think it would be. <laughs> Hellebuck just came off of a Vesna year. He's still relatively young. you got to think that he's in his prime right now. 
and he's going to continue to put up these numbers. Mm-hmm. And he got six point five million, was it? Uh, six point one six six. Okay, yeah. Meanwhile, Marc Andre Fleury, around he just got signed to an extension at seven million per, after coming off an insane year, but. We all know he's probably more than likely going to drop in those three years. Oh, yeah. He got seven million. Now you got Pecorine making seven. You got Tuka Rask making seven as well. I, I mean, Rene is expiring this year. He signed that a while ago, to be fair. And, and Bobrovsky as well is making, is making more. So Yeah, next year will be an interesting year for goalies with Bobrovsky as a UFA. It's going to yeah, be like, really interesting to see what happens How much with him. do you sign him? Do you compare him to the Marc-Andre Fleury, or do you compare him to the Hellebuck? If you're Matt Murray coming off his bridge contract, how much do you give him? Same with Vasilevsky. No one really knows. Oh, and we forgot about Carey Price, who's making 10 and a half. Yeah, he's, he's the complete <laughs> ceiling of a goalie contract, being the heart winner. But yeah, yeah it's, he's, uh, the Con- he's the Connor McDavid of goaltending, if you want to call it that. Yeah, Bobrovsky is going to be really interesting though, because not only is he a very consistent and talented goaltender. I mean, the last two seasons where Columbus made the playoffs both years, he had a nine thirty one and a nine twenty one, but he won the Vesna in twenty seventeen and in twenty thirteen. So he's a two time Vesna winner. Mm-hmm. So he he'd probably be closer to the Carey Price contract if he's coming off a good year this year. If he's a line 25 or higher, then he'd beat anyone else. That's the thing, too. But the only downside with Bobrovsky is his playoff success. Not necessarily it's his fault. I'm not saying that. But they haven't been able to make a deep playoff push since he's been there. And I think that'll hurt his value a little bit. But Well, that's why he's got one more year. He can still do it <laughs> next year. Exactly. I mean, we know. see what happened to playoff. You make a good playoff. And that's part of what happened with Fleury as well. Hellebuck made them to round three. That helped Fleury got to a cup finals. And another thing for Fleury, which I know a lot of people talk about for his contract, is just he is the star of, as much as William Carlson, Marcus O'Neill, like Fleury is the star of Pittsburgh, the real face of the franchise there. And he's getting paid for it. Not to mention he's also a three-time cup winner. That's for sure. And they don't really have a, a up-and-coming goaltender ready to take, take over no, the reins from him. Not at so. all. They, they probably had to settle a little bit on that mm-hmm. contract. Yeah, Hellebuck, the good thing for them, though, is they got term. They got seven years. It's 6166. Yeah. And he is already, what, 25 years old? So he's signed until he's 32. So they've got basically his entirety of his prime. And if he's an elite goalie, he might not start declining at 32. But probably around the time he starts his decline is when he's going to be at an expiry date. And they might be able to get him cheaper if he's coming off a down year. So it'll be yeah, interesting. Exactly. And then Vass is going to be in a similar boat, I expect. You you would think so. Yeah, you never, you know never know with goalies, honestly. You, you never know, and especially in Tampa. Exactly. He'll sign Nobody for $4 million at seven years, and they'll be comparing him to Kalorn. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the other signing will go a bit faster. We've been talking for a while now on just a couple of people. Um, Adam Lowry also signed with the Winnipeg Jets. Adam Lowry is... Not exactly a Connor Hellebuck, despite being the same age. He got three years at just under $3 million. He's a solid third-line player. He'll chip in on your penalty kill. I don't have too much else to say about him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's a role player there on the bottom mm-hmm. six. 
Uh, Washington re-signed Madison Bowie. He's a depth uh, third-pair defenseman, young guy. Again, not too much else to say. Once you get to Vegas, we already spoke on Marc-Andre Fleury, re-signed three years of $7 million. And that signing actually kicks in only a year from now. He wasn't expired. So it's four years left. And then they also re-signed Thomas Nosek, who's a third, fourth-line player there, again, a role player. Um, Vancouver today re-signed Troy Stetcher to a two-year deal. Stetcher's done actually quite well in his time in Vancouver, being a college free agent. And for it, he got a two-year, $2.325 million contract. Yeah, he was coming off a little bit of a down year this year, Mm -hmm. like the whole Vancouver team. Yeah. So a two-year deal is is good for him. Yep. And if they decide they don't like him or something's going on, when you have a young right-handed defenseman, there's always a trade market. So that is good. Um, Moving on from there, not much happened for a lot of teams. It was more specific teams had multiple moves. So you see Toronto didn't really do anything outside of Andreas Janssen accepting his own qualifying offer. So Janssen doing that is an interesting bet on yourself. And there is a really good article posted on The Athletic today about it, where Janssen's agent even said, a player doesn't accept a qualifying offer if they don't think they can make a lot more the following year. And he said while not discussing any term that they did discuss two, three different lengths of the contracts with the Leafs. But Janssen decided with only nine games in the NHL and then playoff games, there isn't much of a real comparable for him to make a long-term deal. Most players that range are making maybe one or two year deals at less than a million. So he decided to just take a qualifying offer so that he could get a one-year deal and hopefully make a lot more money in a following year. And I mean, it makes sense from his perspective. It's just, it's unfortunate for the Leafs because locking him up long-term now would help a lot with the huge cap crunch that's going to happen at the end of next season. Again, yeah. That, I mean, that would be ideal for the Maple Leafs, but if you're thinking as for the person, Johnson, obviously you want a full season under your belt to kind of prove yourself, and I think he's already penciled himself into the roster on opening day. Yeah, he should so, be third-line left wing is more or less penciled in, which means he'll be playing with Kadri, and if an injury happens, suddenly he's with either Matthews or Tavares, so yeah, he should exactly. have some points. So then you get at least... Bearing everything goes well. At least 80 more NHL games under your belt to kind of prove what you're worth. Yep, and if he can post, what, 35, 40... I mean, if, I, I think it's very reasonable to expect 40 points out of him just with his skill. It's not like he's coming in as a 20-year-old. He's 23. Might, he will be 24 during the year. And, yeah, when you're playing with centers like Kadri, Tavares, Matthews, you're going to produce if you have offensive talent. So he exactly. will most likely be able to parlay himself a pretty nice contract next year. Yeah, it was a smart move for sure. Yeah, everyone in Leafs Nation, we're constantly waiting to hear about William Nylander and the deal that will hopefully be coming someday soon. You still got lots of time. Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for a day where they said there's going to be a press conference and they just announced Nylander, Marner, and Matthews extensions all at once. That, that is my dream. That would be kind of funny. Uh, moving on, Tampa did not do anything this week because they have no one else to resign. <laughs> Just waiting on Carlson. Yeah. Uh, St. Louis did nothing else this week either, although they still have Schmaltz, Edmondson, and Bo Bennett to resign. Good old Glassbones Bennett. Wasn't he going to the KHL? 
Oh, you're right. He did. He signed a deal in the KHL, but they do still retain his rights. Yes. I wanted I wanted to ask him if his tweets would be in Russian or <laughs> English still. Man, his Twitter account's so good. He's like Michael Grabner. Certain players are just so good. So funny. He, he, he does have a good Twitter. Um, San Jose just today announced that they've re-signed Chris Tierney. So I think yeah. they got a decent deal out of him. He's a good player. I'd say third line, but he can move up into the top six if necessary. And San Jose had some cap space. I think they were really heavily betting on Tavares, which didn't go their way. So getting able to lock up Tierney to more of a bridge deal than anything at two, almost $3 million for two years, it's a solid signing. It is what it is. They, uh, they also signed Merkley, did they not? To the entry they level did contract. sign Merkley. I'm not mentioning ELCs because there are so many ELCs. Oh, Merkley's from Guelph, so that's a shout-out. <laughs> yeah, they did. They said Merkley, as we were all expecting, that you may as well not sign him this year, but they decided to give him a year. It'll be an ELC slide anyways. It's very obvious that he's going back to the OHL. So unless yep. he suddenly makes the NHL roster next year, he will not matter about the contract. They just got it done early. And they said they were really impressed by Merkley at development camp. So... If they think he's got the tools, which he most likely does, and they think they can work with him to improve his defense, then, I mean, he's going to be an NHL defenseman talent-wise. He's already pretty much there talent-wise for a power play role. It's just the rest of the package needs to come. I, I have a question. Yeah. Do you need a contract to go to the main camp? To development camp? Like the main camp in September, yeah. The, oh, you mean uh, like training camp in the preseason? Yeah. Uh, I honestly don't fully know. I know because like if, to play if you make the... it to the games, like the preseason games, mm-hmm. then you gotta think you would yeah, have to be to, signed. Yeah, you need to be signed to make it to the preseason because then you're playing in the NHL. You can't play for an yeah. NHL team. And I mean, technically, you could if they, because if you think of how players like Cal Foot can play on the Mar- or on the Syracuse Crunch, he's doing it on a PTO because he's not officially old enough yet. So you can do it that way. It's just, it it would be very rare for a player to actually make a team and not have a contract. So I think it's possible if, it might be possible under the CBA, but if so, it's incredibly rare. I've never heard of it. See, I was just thinking like every prospect that kind of has a chance to make the team, I think they all have a contract in place. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's an interesting thought, but yeah, I, I assume if a player was going to make the team and they're an ELC, the team would just sign the player to an ELC then and there. Yeah. That's another thing. Um, next up, Pittsburgh signed Jamie Alexiak. They signed him to a three-year deal for just over $2 million. And Pittsburgh like recently has... Yeah, they've had a habit of taking defensemen who have struggled on their own teams, especially offensive-minded defensemen like Alexiak, who actually played as a winger a couple times for Dallas. Uh, they signed him to a three-year so deal, big. and it worked. He's very big. Mm-hmm. If yeah, only did. they didn't get that Jack Johnson signing. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, we talked about that last week. We don't need to yeah. delve into Jack Johnson. Yeah. But yeah, Pittsburgh seems to do well taking in defensemen. Uh, Philly re-signed Anthony Stolarz. He will either be their uh, NHL backup or third goalie, while I expect... I expect he'll be the backup while Lyon and um, Carter Hart play as the main goalie in the AHL. 
I uh, don't expect yeah. Carter Hart to either take way, much time to make the NHL either. I think they're just going to play him as much as they possibly can. Yeah, I think so too. Um, moving on, Ottawa did what Ottawa does, which is nothing. They're also just waiting on that Carlson trade. Yep. Actually, Elliot Friedman interestingly said in an interview today that he doesn't think a deal was actually that close to being done. And people do believe that Carlson is very open to still remaining as an Ottawa senator, and that would be his first choice. But there are beliefs that he's much less inclined to do it if ownership remains the same. As well, he also mentioned that he thinks Vegas might be more interested in a Mark Stone trade for the restricted free agent than they are for Carlson. See, it's interesting because you would think that Ottawa would be would be doing everything they can to keep him. They wouldn't put him up for trade right away if they had any belief that they could that they could sign him. So the You've fact got that the they best only offered them, of his generation, it's, it's the nuts. fact that you only offered him ten million, and you have Mark Stone going up for arbitration. You made that giant trade for Matthew Shane. And now, potentially all three of those guys want out. Yeah. So I don't... Or you can just give Carlson a blank check. I mean, ownership won't do it, but that's what they should do. Give him a blank check, say $12 million a year, sure. Use that to keep Stone. Use that to keep Duchesne. Try at least to put up a couple wins next year. One thing I did here, which I have no confirmation from any sources nothing like that i haven't heard it reported by friedman but it was definitely rumored around enough for different reporters to discuss it no friedman's or bob mckenzie's again but it was discussed was the reason why they carlson camp balked at the ottawa offer was not because of what the cap was but that it was a primarily salary contract versus a lot of the contracts we see now which are very bonus heavy so that the players are guaranteed their money and they're basically lockout-proof contracts. Okay. That's actually an interesting one for Hellebuck, which you can look at when Vass signs. With Hellebuck's $6 million contract at seven years is all salary. Unless it hasn't been confirmed yet, Cap Friendly has it as a complete salary deal. No bonuses in the contract. Which means you could get Vass hypothetically for less if you could play bonuses. It's amazing how some people do that while others do the exact opposite. Oh, yeah. Tavares got almost entirely. He's making... There's not a single year where his salary is over a million. It's like Connor McDavid's as well. Yeah. Matthews will likely be the same. Marner's will probably be pretty bonuses. Nylander, too. It's a lot of bonuses right now because players are worried about lockouts. The thing that's crazy, though, I love looking at this McDavid contract because July 1st, 2018 so he would have just got paid 13 million in signing bonuses did you see what Tavares is in the first couple of years it's, it's more than 13 it's 15 so you're, you're a <laughs> hockey player I mean Connor McDavid he's 20 right uh no no he's older than 20, 20 now 21 yeah you get a check in the mail for 13 million dollars minus taxes and all that so it's still it's a lot of money. million dollars. What do you do with that? What, what goes through your head when you're like, oh, another $10 million? I mean, I, I understand why Tavares wanted his. I mean, $15.25 in year one, that'll get you like 
a decent townhouse in Toronto. He's not getting a fancy apartment on that money, yeah. but... That's true. <laughs> Toronto That's true. rent. <laughs> yeah, his is actually interesting a lot because it start, like it decreases year over year for the most part. But his base salary in year one, every other year is 910000 Year one, it's six hundred fifty, And he has a signing bonus July 1st of 15250000 Must be nice. Yeah, then it's fourteen nine nine eleven oh nine. 844 and then for the final three years it's seven million forty thousand in signing bonuses with the 910 base salary so yeah this year he made this year and next year he's making 15.9 million but in the final three it's 7.95 this thing is crazy how they get it they get all the signing bonuses on july 1st and then the base salary spread out throughout the year yeah i mean it's a good way to work yeah. around the cap if you're a team that can afford it yeah. if you're a toronto or a New York, Montreal, this is how you use your financial power in a cap era. That's an issue with, Mon- with probably Ottawa. They don't want to be paying yeah. Eric Carlson $12 million in bonuses if there's a lockout. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Come on, Ottawa. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. Uh, moving on anyways, because we could discuss the unfortunateness, for lack of a better word, that is Ottawa for a long time. That is the franchise. Yeah. It's like they they announced uh, six different variations of their logo uh, for season ticket holders to discuss. And they had it in rows. So the the first row had three and the second row had three. In the second row, the logo basically spelled out S-O-S. People were like, man, they are in trouble. They're asking the season ticket holders for help. Did you see the other questions that they asked in that questionnaire as well? It was asking... um, it's pretty much like, why why are you upset with management right now? And some of the options, it was like unwillingness to spend the cap, like up to the cap ceiling. It was uh, how how they're dealing with the Carlson situation, how Alfredson's not involved. There was like all these like serious options, and they wanted season ticket holders' um, responses to them. That's good. I mean, which is good, I guess, yeah. But if you're asking the fans what to do about Carlson and Alfredson, it kind of seems like it's a bit of a mess going on up there. A tad. Oh, Ottawa. So, anyways, the Rangers, no really big deals. They re signed Cody McLeod, Rob O'Gara, John Gilmore, and recently re signed Jimmy VC to a two year deal. Mm-hmm. Nothing really moving the needle. They're still most likely a tanking team next season. Um, the Islanders yeah. re-signed Ryan Pollock to a new contract. I know you were hesitant on tanking because of their very promising young prospects, but I don't think they're... I don't know. Lundqvist can get you there. He can make you a playoff team, but I, I don't think they're a playoff team next year. I wouldn't say they're a playoff team, but I wouldn't say they're a tank. Fair. But somewhere in the middle isn't where you want to be. You want to be one or the other. You want to tank, yes, but... I don't think they will. Fair. Very, very fair. Yeah, then, um, as I said, the Islanders re-signed Devin Taves, who, if you don't know that name, which is understandable because he's not in the NHL yet, he's a fairly promising young defenseman. He is 24 years old. He came out of Quinnipiac University. He posted 45 points in 76 games as a rookie. And then this season had a pretty bad injury, but still managed 22-30 and 30 for Bridgeport. 
So if there's an opening, it's expected he's the guy who's going to get a call-up. Then they also re-signed Ryan Pollock, as was already mentioned, to just a bridge deal for two years at $2 million, which is actually a lot cheaper than I thought they'd be able to get him for. So That's good, though. Again, two years to kind of, especially with DeHaan leaving, yeah. opens up a burger spot for him. But if I were them, I might have just tried to sign him long-term now, get it cheap, and maybe not sign a one or two of their three lines of fourth liners. <laughs> Again, though, you got to think that Pollock was the one pulling for the bridge. True. Very true. Um, the Devils re-signed Nason, Coleman, and Nick Lappin. None of those are really big names. It's all shorter-term deals. Nashville, interestingly, though, re-signed two different players this week, Ryan Hartman and UC Saros. Now, the Saros deal, we both agree, is fantastic. It's $1.5 million for over three years, so $4.5 total. And Saros has been nothing but spectacular in his time in Nashville. So to get him going from 23 to 26, hitting his prime at that number, is it's a massive steal that extends their cup window. It's the only way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's almost the exact scenario of what Matt Murray and Andre Vasilevsky did in Pittsburgh and Tampa, except they locked him up at a $1.5 million cap hit instead of a 3.3 or a 3.5. Yeah, it's, it's very clear with Rene with one year left on his deal that they're going to be transitioning Saros to starter. And in the last two exactly. years, he played 21 games in 26 and had a 9.23 and a 9.25 save percentage. The guy yeah. is... And by all advanced metrics, goal saved above average, he's a top five goalie in all of those metrics. So the guy, basically by every standpoint, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. so you got to think this year, probably hope to split the starts with Rene. And if everything goes well, either try and trade Rene at the deadline or if they want to try and keep going with that 1A, one, one 1B one for this year and then just let Rene walk as a free agent. Mm-hmm. One of those two. Yeah, then they also re-signed Ryan Hartman to a one-year 875k deal. So that's very simple. He's betting on himself to do better next year. Yeah. Uh, Montreal re-signed Philip Deneau. Three years at just over $3 million. I think that's a fair contract for a center and a team that needs center depth. So it's good. Um, I don't think it's an overpay by any means. Jagger? Yeah, I don't really know too much about Deneau. I thought it was a little bit high, but... Again, you're, you're right, like center depth, Montreal doesn't really have it. And I think for three years, he can play anywhere up and down that lineup. Yeah. So it's good and kind of gives him a chance to show himself. Yeah, I think it's more of a bet that they got him for three years. More than anything, they're getting his prime 25 to 28 years old. Because he, he's coming off a down year where the whole team was down and he came off an injury, missed 30 games. But his first full year in Montreal, he did have a 40-point season, and he's a capable center. He's not really meant to be a top-six forward, I don't think, which is how he's going to be used. But next year, in 2019, with the additions of most likely Kokkinemi and uh, Ryan Paling, he should be settling in by partway into the year once those guys are acclimatized to the NHL as a third-line center, and he should be fine there. Yeah, yeah, I think as a third-line center, he should really excel. Yeah, and then uh, the Canadians also re-signed the player they traded for last week, Joel Armia, getting him to a one-year $1.85 million deal, which will expire with arbitration rights as an RFA. Yeah. 
So Another again, prove it deal. Yeah, Minnesota and LA did nothing this week, although Minnesota is definitely a team that will be soon. Matt Dumba's arbitration hearing is on the 23rd. That'll be a big one. Yep. Then uh, there wasn't much else for another few teams. Florida, Edmonton, Detroit, Dallas. Again, nobody did anything much yet, but Darnell Nurse and Dylan Larkin are definitely the two big guys there at Detroit and Edmonton who are to be re-signed. Columbus has locked up all of their RFAs, now avoiding any arbitration, locking up Bjorkstrand and Ryan Murray. Bjorkstrand was re-signed to a three-year, $2.5 million contract, which I think is great value because I think he was more excited to take that cap where you get a young player who more than just to prove it, but is he had 40 points in 82 games and they decided to lock him up long-term and he decided not to do another like one-year deal where he thought he could get more money in a bigger role. And that's a bet on... I guess less of a bet on himself, but he's making steady money, and I think it's a great steal. Bjorkstrand's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a good deal for both the player and the team. That's for yeah. sure. And then uh, Ryan Murray got a one-year $2.825 million deal, and he will uh, be an RFA arbitration inelig- or sorry, arbitration eligible. Uh, Colorado and Columbus didn't do anything. Carolina re-signed one of the great hockey names, Greg McKegg. Oh, former Tampa Bay. Former Leaf, Tampa former Bay Penguin. He, former he's got Panther. around. <laughs> yeah, he's played in a lot of places. Though. Greg McKegg was actually like who we swapped line. for uh, Zach Hyman. And I got to say, I think that trade worked out yeah. for us. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I like McKegg on the fourth line, though. Yeah, I don't know if he'll actually even play in the NHL next year or if he's just a call-up for injury because he, they have mm-hmm. uh, they more or less got a defined 12 forwards already. But they did also re-sign Lucas Walmark, another forward. But Lucas Walmark played the entire... I can't recall if he got a call-up. I'll check. But he was incredibly effective in the AHL last year. Yeah, he had an 11-game call-up, only one goal, so not the best call-up. But he had 55 points in 45 games. He and Zykov were very clearly the top forwards on Charlotte last year. And as a... 22-year-old uh, center, I think he'll be in the NHL sooner rather than later. I think he'll... Oh, for sure. I don't know if he'll make it out of camp, but he will probably be finishing the season there and not going back down in a year. Yeah, if he keeps up those numbers for another year, yeah. hard not to. Even the, the year before, he had great numbers too. Not a point per game, but not far off it. So he's, he's a player. Cal- uh, Calgary made two of their bigger signings. They've still got a few big ones left, namely Noah Hannafin. But they re-signed Elias Lindholm and John Gillies. What did you think of the Lindholm contract? I liked it. I mean, they said they wanted to lock him up long-term. I think the cap hit wasn't too too high. I thought it was an overpay. And I don't mean that by a little overpay. I think a fair contract for him would have been maybe 3, 3.5? Long-term? I don't know about... No, they lined six years... I understand why it was more, and likely the six years is why it was so much. But they, it was only a little under $5 million for a guy who career year was 45 points and his career high in goals was 17 in a different year. Like, he's, he's yeah, never shown he's more of a mid-40-point guy. So, I don't know. It, it, I think $5 million for that's definitely an overpay, but I understand... You're paying a 23-year-old at six years, taking away some UFA years. That's why, but it, it, it's still an overpay to me. 
Uh, he's put up 40 points consistently on Carolina, who's definitely not known for putting up offense. Is he going to do better with Derek Ryan? <laughs> he was always with Derek exactly. Ryan. Exactly. <laughs> but you get him on the Calgary system, and then you get him the occasional power play with Monaghan and Gaudreau, or you throw him on with Monaghan and Gaudreau, and he turns into a consistent 50, 60 point getter. That's fair. It's completely on how he from does 20, in Calgary. Yeah, he's in his prime. And I think it's a good good number. Fair. Uh, Buffalo re-signed moving on. Nick Baptiste, again, it's a minor deal. Anaheim, the Ducks made basically the... They've still got some unsigned players to get through, but probably the biggest contract they're going to be giving out. They re-signed Adam Henrique. I, I See, definitely there, thought that was the an overpay. overpay. Okay. Yeah, there's the overpay <laughs> you wanted. And they signed him in advance, like, too. That's the thing. That amazed me. He's still got one year left. Yeah. Like, I, I like him. But I think 2C is kind of where he tops out if if there's injuries and stuff. I don't see him as a 1C at all. No, 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 no. I see him as a 3C kind of comfortably. Yeah, he got paid. He's, for those who are wondering, he's 28 years old currently with a one year at $4 million left. So then at 29 years old, a five-year, $5.85 million contract kicks in. So they will be paying a 33-year-old $5.85 by the end of his contract, 34 when it expires. He, I, I really don't understand. I get that there were some high contracts given out this year. You look at guys like Beagle as a center who was definitely overpaid, Komarov. Um, Stasny was actually probably fair considering the term. He only got three years, but yeah, it's a, it's hard to justify that, that contract. Yeah. I think that's a contract where two years down the road, like two years, three years, it looks bad. Yeah. And you can't exactly buy out a contract six years. Like even if it's bad in two, three years with three years left on a contract that size, you're not going to buy it out at best. You could trade it away. Even then, you have to sweeten the pot. Yep. I mean, he's coming off a 50-point season, which more or less ties his career highs. He's hit 53 times and once hit 51. Uh, that more or less is who he is. He's a 40- to 50-point center, which is good. But at the same time, in New Jersey, for most of his career, he was the top center and was playing with guys like Taylor Hall when he hit 50 points for that last time he yeah. did it. So. Exactly. In Anaheim, he, or in New Jersey, he was the go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Even bef- before Hall got there, he was always the number one guy on the power play, yeah. number one center. Yeah, so it's... Now Anaheim, it, he kind of, his roles decreased. Yeah, I, I don't like it. And then um, lastly, a trade to announce was Arizona Coyotes acquired Jordan Osterley, Vinny Hinostroza, a third-round pick, and... Future Hall of Famer Marion Hosa's contract <laughs> for Andrew Campbell, prospect Mackenzie Entwistle, and a fifth-round pick. I kind of yeah, like it so from both perspectives. I like it from Chicago's perspective. Really? You don't like it from Arizona's? Well, it's not like I don't like it. Like I see they're using their calf space, yes. Same song and dance with Arizona. But it's like, when is Arizona going to be their own team and stop taking on these bad contracts and say, you know what? 
we're gonna stand up for ourselves. <laughs> we're gonna build a team. I mean, that's close to the cap ceiling, and we're gonna compete. Bolin, when is that gonna happen? Bolin's contract expires next season, meaning the only IR left, uh, Bolin, Datsuk, and Pronger will have expired. Is gonna be Marion Hosa's two years after this one at five point two seven five. But out of it, they got Vinny Hinestroza, who was absolutely fantastic in Chicago last year. He had twenty five and fifty, so about a forty point pace after a point per game with the Ice Hogs, and all of his underlying numbers were just fantastic. And you could you can try to attribute it to the guys he played with. He played with Taves. He played with DeBrincat. Like, he had good line mates, but he was very good. Jordan Osterley, also, they have him at a, a league minimum deal. He will likely be a third. He's probably a third-pair defenseman. You can tell Chicago is great defense, considering there were times when he played with Duncan Keith on the first pair. But, uh, yeah, I yeah. think they got the best player in the deal by far in Vinny Hinestroza who's only 24. I think he's a good middle six forward. He's incredibly fast. Speed is by far the asset on him. I, I Technically, like if Hosta still played, he'd be the best player in this trade. Fair, but he's not. Um, but but how many third-line third players does Arizona need? I'm, you already have Dylan Strome coming up. You have Nick Merkley. You have Clayton Keller. Clayton Keller's a third-liner? Pardon? <laughs> no, but I'm saying, like, in your top six, yeah. like, you have Dylan Strom, you have Nick Berkeley, you have Clayton Keller, you just drafted Barrett Hayden. Like, you have the top in talent, and now you're just getting all these kind of leftovers from other teams. Alex Galchenyuk, Derek Stefan, Christian Vorak. Yeah, it's like, you picked up Richard Panic last year. Remember when they picked year. up Lawson Krauss for Dave Boland? Lawson Krauss, like, like, it's just, do your own thing. Don't take don't take leftovers. I mean, that's all I ask. Vegas didn't made it to the finals. They're just trying to repeat it. <laughs> they did it first. Vegas just copied Arizona, but they did it right. They they got a free they flurry out of it. The, Arizona never got a flurry or a James Neal, and they never found their Marcheseau. They're hoping Galchenyuk or can be their Marcheseau or Hinestroza. That's true. We'll, we'll let it play off. Plus, I'll let it play I can't wait. I really, really hope they put Hinestroza on a line with Grabner and just watch them fly down the ice the moment Arizona gets the puck. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. Oh, and then Dylan Strom can be their center, trailing behind. <laughs> that it way you never have it. a guy who's like out of position because Strom as the center is always still in the D zone by the time they've transitioned to the offensive zone. He'll be a good defensive center. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Andrew Campbell, a former captain of the Toronto Marlies. He's an AHL defenseman, but a good one at that. Mackenzie Entwistle of the Hamilton Bulldogs is a power forward prospect. I don't know if he'll ever make the NHL. I don't think, unless he has a very, very good season next year. Judging by his OHL numbers and his abilities, I'd be surprised, although I'm not counting out that can't happen. It's more or less taking on Hosa's contract for Osterley Hinestroza and then moving up from a fifth to a third. So we've talked about this week a lot more than I thought we would, actually. So let's move on. Yeah, let's move on and discuss the fantastic prospects in the West. So we're going to start it off now. I'm going to kick it off with the Central Division Chicago Blackhawks. Jagger, who is your prospect? See, Chicago actually had a lot of decent prospects on D that I didn't really know about. But Henry Yokiharu? Yeah, yeah, he was the guy I was thinking about because he had a really cool name. 
and he's actually a really good defenseman. But I, he's a very good prospect. But I did go with Adam Boquist. Uh, I I like him a lot. I mean, they took him eighth overall this past draft. He's a power play specialist, I'd say. He's like your typical. He's five foot eleven, only one hundred sixty five pounds, but he skates really well. He's a threat on the power play. He has really good hands. He plays smart. The way he skates is just so so effortless, and he plays so calm. It's just really fun to watch him play. Get on the power play. He shoots right, so that's always good. <laughs> and I think uh, I could see him in his prime. He could be a top pair defenseman, I think, on Chicago. Kind of like a right-handed Duncan Keith, but not as good. Fair. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of skill. He's one of the most skilled offensively. He's just... He's really got to work on his defensive game. Yeah. That is a genuine concern. But he's he's good. Obviously, he's not going to be a, a shutdown player. defenseman. But no. I think he's going to be reliable in his defensive end. And I think he's going to be able mm-hmm. to log top minutes. And he's going to London next year. So I want to see how that goes. Maybe I'll go yep. down and see him. <laughs> I mean, you could just watch when they come to Guelph. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Yeah. Well, you yeah. said go down. That Go, go down to the Sleeman Center. <laughs> And watch how he plays the storm. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, my prospect, I, I debated for a long time. I was going to do Jake Wise, but I decided we've talked about Jake Wise enough on this podcast. That's fair. So I'm going to talk about a guy they actually acquired in a trade recently, which is Victor Edgesell. Never heard of him. He's the guy they got for Ryan Hartman. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Victor Edgesell went undrafted. He was 2014 eligible. He's currently 23. He played in all Svenskin, and his numbers were never, or sorry, he played in the J20 at that point, and his numbers were that, never that impressive. But in 16-17, he absolutely destroyed the all Svenskin, completely lit it up, and he got pursued by several NHL teams, Chicago one of them, and he ended up signing with Nashville to a two-year entry-level contract, but had already made his intentions known that he was going to at least continue his development during the year in Sweden. So during the year, he did very well in the SHL in his first season, very productive forward. And near the dead, and at the deadline, sorry, um, Nashville traded him with a first-round pick and then a couple other little things for Ryan Hartman, which Hartman is a good player. I worry Nashville in a year or two is going to find out Victor Edsel is a better player. Yeah, that's fair. They're about the same age. Um, I think Victor Edsel might be one year younger. But Edsel, coming out of the SHL, he came to the AHL. And just to tell you a bit about him, he is a six foot five player. He is a center, a useful position, one one where size actually might help you as a, as a forward. Two fifteen pounds. He can also play left wing, but center is his natural position actually. And he is just. Very, very talented offensively as a goal scorer. That's kind of been his calling card since he had the breakout season in 16-17. He's not, and it's actually interesting because for a six foot five player, he's not known for like a big hard shot or like a huge slap or anything like that. It's at six five, he has a super long stick, and he is just supposed to be known for incredible puck handling with his stick. So he really? beats goalies in very tight. Think of JVR. A six foot four forward who beats goalies with his hands in tight. Yeah. That's what Victor Edgesell does. He beats goalies in tight. He's not a bad. He's a good skater for his size. He's not a fantastic skater. He's not going to blow past you. But at six five, being a good skater, 
is probably above average. So, yeah, he's, he's a very talented player, power forward. He's not the most physical for a guy who's as big as he is, but he's definitely not afraid to shy away from physicality. And he's just, simply put, he is a goal scorer. And that is always useful. If you think of him in the SHL this season, as a rookie in 50 games, just so you have some context, he had 20 goals in 50 games. He came over to the AHL, and as expected when you transition from Sweden to North America, or anywhere in Europe to North America, there's a bit of a transition. He had five AHL games, one assist, no goals. Then Chicago actually called him up late in the season, gave him six NHL games, one assist, no goals. Then during the AHL playoffs, he finally got adjusted. He started to settle in, and he finished in the playoffs with seven goals, five assists, 12 points in 13 games on Rockford. Wow. Yeah, so once he settled in, he he took over on that team, and I I really expect he's going to be a player. And the fact that he can play center as well if need be, I... I think Nashville might regret this trade. That's already without the fact they traded a first-round pick as well. Plus, you never know. He gets on the power play on Chicago, sits in front of the net, just has Patrick Kane to beat him passes. Oh, Debrincat as well. Yeah, My know. God. Yeah, he he could make them look silly in a couple of years, and I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, moving on to Colorado, mm-hmm. a player who I really like and I really disliked during the AHL playoffs is Sheldon Dries. He's a 24-year-old undrafted center, originally 2012 eligible. I predict him being more of a third-line wing kind of guy, maybe a fourth-line center. He came out of the NCAA and had a really good rookie season this year, not in Colorado, actually, but on the Texas Stars, the team that made it to the Calder Cup Finals against the Toronto Marlies. And Dry's best and easily the most notable thing in his game is his speed. He's a smaller forward, 5'9", 185, so he's not that light despite his size. And I'm going to bet most of that comes from his legs because the guy skates like the wind. <laughs> he's so fast. And he, and I know I mentioned him to you before, 10 goals, 0 assists in 22 playoff games. He can score goals. He scores goals. <laughs> During the season, he had more goals than assists. Even in his final NC double, actually... In all but one of his NCAA seasons, he had more goals than assists. He's Hmm. super quick. He doesn't have the best shot or the best hands, but they're good enough to beat goalies. So yeah, if you put him... And he did play on the penalty kill during the playoffs and during the year. And yeah, he's one of those players where you let your guard down, he can strip you of the puck, and he's gone before you noticed it. Especially on the penalty kill where a defenseman will play higher, and often there's not as many people back as quickly. Yeah, he's gone, and he's scoring on you shorthanded. So I, I always appreciate great skaters. So he And since I actually watched seven straight games of him, I had a good idea of what he could do, and he's just fun. And that's the thing, too. He was on an AHL contract out of NCAA, and I guess Dallas wasn't offering him an entry-level deal, but Colorado clearly liked what they saw, so they did. And I, it's always nice when you see an undrafted guy gets an AHL deal, now he's got an entry-level contract. Yeah, yeah it's always nice to see the guys kind of work their way up. It makes you have more appreciation, kind of, for their success. Yeah. So Jagger, did you have Connor Timmins? I did not have Connor Timmins. I do ah. like I do like Connor Timmins. I think he's a really good defenseman. I think he will be a good defenseman. But I am kind of continuing your trend, which that you had with Chicago, of um, 
trades that could possibly go wrong. So I picked Shane Bowers, Ooh. who was part of the Matt Duchesne trade. As we Fair. all know, he's, he was drafted in the first round by Ottawa and then traded to, uh, to Colorado at the trade deadline. He's six foot two, 185 pounds. And for some reason, when he was drafted, I had this... I thought I heard it somewhere that he was just a goal scorer. And he had a really good shot. And he's a threat in the offensive zone, but he's got to work on his defensive game. I thought he was a two-way center. But yeah, the more the more I looked into him, he played at Boston University. He's on a line with Brady Kachuk. He was the center. And in his rookie year, he got 32 points. And all the scouting reports just talk about how smart of a player he is in all three zones. And to do that as mm-hmm. a center, it's it's very impressive for a rookie. And oh, yeah. just watching the highlights of him, everything just seems above average, I'd say. Like, he's a good skater. He's got a really good shot. He's a threat on the power play. He goes on that right circle, and, he's, and he gets a one-timer. Mm-hmm. But six foot two, 185 pounds, he's a pretty good size. He's got He's a really good skater, actually, for being that size and he's yeah. got good hands to back it up he can go around defenders he can deke through them he crashes the net and i think in colorado i could i could really see him as a maybe not as colorado a center Colorado is really gonna be coming up mm-hmm. i think that team in a year or two they're gonna be deadly yeah like with uh tyson jost and nate mckinnon kind of as their as their centers i don't really know if he's gonna beat out tyson jost for that second line center but I could see mm-hmm. him as like a second line right wing, and I think he could do really well. Yeah, I'm mainly excited because that team I feel like doesn't have much on defense. They've got Eric Johnson, Ian Cole, Nikita Zadorov. Their real defensemen are Tyson Berry, and then Sam Gerrard is also there. Not to mention they, as we mentioned, they have Connor Timmins coming and Kale McCarr. Yeah, I think in a couple of years they're. I think they're going to be a real threat in a couple of years. And that's exactly. I, when, I, uh, I like that team. That's exactly when Shane Bauer should be ready. He said he's gonna, he's not going to rush his jump to the NHL. So he's got at least two more years, let's say, in the NCAA. And then mm-hmm. I think when he jumps to the the NHL, he's going to be an impact player right away. Yep. And while we should be moving on to the next team, one player I did just want to mention was because uh, it's interesting and it follows our trade thread was Vladislav Kamenev was another player they got in that big trade. Oh, from Nashville. Kamenev and Gerard both came from Nashville. But Kamenev was a former second-round pick in 2014. He had really great AHL numbers. And after the trade, he had over a point per game in seven games in the AHL. So Colorado called him up. He got his first taste of NHL action. And in his third NHL game, he, or sorry, his second NHL game, he got hit very bad hit, straight to the head, and that was his season. That sucks. So you never That's want awful. to see that. So, yeah, the kid's got tons of potential. So you just got to hope that – I don't know if he'll even start in the NHL next year. They might just send him back to the AHL to get him acclimatized. But I, I, I do hope he does find his way because he's got loads of talent as a skilled player, more of a playmaker than a goal scorer, but he's, he's a good player to watch. So remember the name Vladislav Kamenev and see if he can make the team next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to Dallas, I kind of hope we have the same player. Don't know if we will. Jason Dickinson. I was gonna pick Dickinson, but ah, uh, he didn't do Dickinson. I wasn't a huge, a huge fan of him when he was in Guelph. I, I have like I have respect for him. Like he's a really good player. Yeah, does everything well. But I picked Mira Heiskanen 
I like the I like the smaller offensive defenseman. He's he's more of a two way than an offensive, but he still puts up a good amount of. He had twenty three points in thirty games in the league last year, eleven goals. Nice. So I mean, he still he still scores, but he's definitely known as more of a two way defenseman. He uh, he has good offensive awareness. Like he knows when to creep into the back door offensively. He's already yeah. pretty reliable. He was playing big minutes in the Liga. He's reliable defensively. And there's definitely a reason that he went third overall. Because <laughs> he's yeah. smart. He's a good skater. He's got a good shot. And I think sooner rather than later, I could, he could be right next to Klingberg in Dallas. Oh, man. That would be... If he does reach his potential that a lot of people expect out of Heiskanen, man, that pair will be unreal. Oh, yeah. There, there's a... There's no... There's no hiding that Ottawa wants Heiskanen part of this Carlson deal. And I think Dallas might be right to hold on to him. Yeah, I agree entirely. Although, I understand why they want to hold on to him. I would have done that deal in a heartbeat because, I mean, I know people love their prospects. It's like when you hear about Vegas and Cody Glass. <laughs> but um, yeah, have you ever heard of Carlson? <laughs> He's kind of the best defenseman of his generation. Yeah, but then you have two right-handed defensemen. Jagger, as a Leafs fan, let me tell you, having two right-handed defensemen doesn't sound like a bad thing. Yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) But I like Heisman. Yeah, I like him too, but I'm just saying I I would do that trade in a heartbeat. Um, Yeah, and then Jason Dickinson, as I already mentioned, he's mine. Jason Dickinson, another player who I watched in the Texas Stars, he's going to be on Dallas next season. He played some games there this year, some games in uh, Texas, but he is waiver eligible as of this year, so that's it. He's not going down because he would get claimed. He's a former first-round pick out of Guelph. He's not exactly a scorer by any means. He, as Jagger said, he does everything right. He is that kind of player. Mm He'll do everything how you want. He's a two-way center. He'll play on the penalty kill. He can contribute offensively, although he's not that offensive, and that's likely what's kept him in the AHL for so long. He had only he had 27 games this year in Dallas and only two assists. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't really yeah, do him so, justice because he does play no. a good game. He's, he's better than that two assists for sure, but I, I project him as a 4C to a third-line left wing, and I... I'm, I'm very stingy, and I know that when it comes to centers, calling somebody a 3C, 2C, 1C. I'm very stingy about giving that title out. But it's just, he's, he's so good at everything, and he's very... I, I 100% expect him to be on the first penalty kill unit in a couple of years, but I just don't see the offensive upside yeah. for him, if they're deep enough at center, for him to be playing third-line center. Yeah, it's, it's hard, especially when he doesn't produce at the AHL level. Like, he's done fine, but it's just, like, 28 points in, uh, I think, 42 games this year. It's just, it's not where you, it's the baseline, like, the basic, basic amount of what you'd want to see if somebody was to make the NHL, and he just, he doesn't really have the offensive upside there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Moving on to Minnesota. They have some really talented forwards, and I chose Dmitry Sokolov. Interesting. I did not. Dimitri <laughs> is a former seventh round pick of 2016. And he is a classic example of why scouts are dumb. <laughs> so 
So he played on Sudbury, which is well known for being a very poor OHL team in recent years. They, they've even made it to an OHL finals about a decade ago. But in the past, <laughs> in the past decade after that, they've made it out of the first round, I believe, once. And they, in the past, what was it, four years, they've had under 20 wins three times. It's embarrassingly bad. And he, on that team, in his draft-eligible year, had 52 points, 30 of them goals. And this is a big guy, six foot, 210. He is a power forward in the raw essence of a goal-scoring power forward. That is his role. He's not the best skater in the world, but he's not a bad skater by any means either. And he's definitely got a lot of raw tools to use. Then he followed that up with 72 uh, the following year and 48 goals this year, he tied Aaron LeChuck, who we talked about in the a in the Eastern portion for Ottawa with 50 goals to lead the OHL in goal scoring this year. And part of that was he was traded from Sudbury after 35 games to the Barry Colts, where he was above a goal a game in Barry. And this is why scouts are dumb. Being on Barry, a team that is typically bad, and the fact that he was a talented offensive player. It means he gets power play. He's out there when they need to pull their goalie to score, which was all the time because they were bad. Yep. So he's going to get some minuses, and that's what happens. And he got a minus 40 and then a minus 32. But what happened when he went to Barry for 29 games? Well, he was on a good team. So he was plus 15 in 29 games. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep, now he's a seventh-round pick, making people look dumb. And it's the exact same as when the Leafs got Connor Brown as a sixth round in 2012. Often getting CHL players in late rounds is not always the best, and the reason is basically that if you think of players out of the OHL and WHL, they are scouted more than anywhere else in the world. So if you're seeing something that apparently makes you want to draft them at sixth or seventh that no other team saw... More often than not, it's because every other team just saw that mm-hmm. you were seeing something that wasn't there. Yeah. But in the case of this, the same as Connor Brown, who was on a very bad Erie Otters, leading them in scoring at 16 with a minus 72 because that team was just awful. And the moment they got other good players, as in Connor McDavid, he was above a plus 100 <laughs> <laughs> for crying out loud. I guess that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's what happens. Plus mine is especially in the OHL. It's so much to do with your team. And that's yeah. why when scouts reference it, it's just, oh, it just infuriates yeah. me. I'll comment on this because Alexei Lipinov was part of that Sokolov trade <laughs> that sent him from Sudbury to Barry, And Lipinov was the one that went from Barry to Sudbury. So in, in, in Barry in 35 games, Lipinov, who was a third-round pick for Tampa the year before, had 30 points, which was pretty respectable. Nothing yep. crazy, but 30 points, and he was a plus 9. Goes to Sudbury for 20 games, only gets 9 points, and was a minus 14. So, yep. <laughs> needless to say, Lipinoff is eligible for Sudbury next year, but I think that management would rather keep him in the AHL and even have him fourth line or scratch just not to play in Sudbury next year. Is Lipinov AHL eligible? I believe so, because he, in his draft year, he was playing in Russia. I thought he was, oh, you're right, he was draft 2017. Yeah, it, it depends if he's on loan or not. If he's officially OHL, I don't think he is. 
But if it's determined he was on loan to the OHL, then yeah, he's eligible. Yeah, I'll have to look into that more, but I don't know. Yeah, either way, yeah, often you see it in players. David Levine, former first overall pick of the OHL draft, goes undrafted. And people constantly talk about he's super raw. Like, he didn't start skating till he was 12, and that's definitely a big knock on him. But he's got so many raw tools when he came there that just haven't been developed by the Sudbury staff. So if you're a Sudbury fan, I'm sorry that we're harping on your team so much. But maybe go talk to management. Sudbury's a small town. Yeah. Maybe go find them and be like, guys, can we work on the development thing here? Maybe, we want to win. Maybe make the playoffs. They, they made it once in the last four years in a very, very bad division. I'm not even sure how they made it, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. So I w- Yeah, they were still below 500, but they made the playoffs. <laughs> Welcome to uh, the OHL. Pretty much. And who is your Minnesota Wild pick? See, I didn't really go off the board, but I went with one draft before in the fifth round. I went with Kirill Kaprasov. Fantastic pick. Who, if you know anything about Minnesota, you know... He's kind of their prized possession. He he, picked, he put up 42 points in 49 games last year in the KHL. And 40 and 46 this year. He's still only 21 years old. 5'10", 190 pounds, 192 pounds. He's a right winger, but he's a left-handed shot. Kind of similar to what Ovi does on the left side. Kind of opens up the one-timer off the rush. And it makes it... It makes uh, it opens the door for more creative zone zone entries. You can kind of hold the puck mm-hmm. towards the middle and then take it to the outside, or you can hold up and have the whole inside of the ice easier to pass to. Uh, he went to the Olympics. He got nine points in six games. Won the gold. He was a KHL All Star. All at 21 years old. Yeah, he's he's so good. When you watch him play, he's, so, he's so just good. got mad skill. He's got great hands. His edges is phenomenal. He's got a good shot. Like I said, as a right winger, as a lefty, he's got the one-timer on the right side. But despite all of his skill, it seems that most of his goals come from five feet away from the net. He's always, I got no issue with guys who crash the net. Yeah, he's always in front of the net. He's going for rebounds. He's going for tips. He scores the greasy goals. But then he scores the occasional one-timer from the, from the circle. Or he deeks around three guys and roofs it. So he's just, got, he's just got so many tools under his belt that if he comes over in 2020 when his contract expires, he can you can pencil him in for top six easily, maybe even top oh, line yeah. in Minnesota right away. I I agree. Like if you in for people like the Olympics without NHL players, if you're wondering more anything other than just that on best on best in 1617 at the World Juniors, he. Russia won the bronze medal. He was he was voted best forward, most goals, most points, and obviously on their all on the world junior all star team and top player on team Russia. So for, he's kind of good <laughs> for a fifth round pick. I think he's okay. Yeah, I I I don't know how he slipped to the fifth round, considering he played thirty one KHL games in his draft year and was rookie of the week twice. But you gotta think that he's yeah. just openly said he was going to sign an extension in the KHL. So maybe yeah. that scared away teams. I and 5'10". We've seen it with Panarin before. Russian players who are under 6 foot. But even 5'10", he's 192 pounds. That's decent yeah, weight. Yeah, he's a thick body. 
But he's just uh, so talented. I don't know how. It's, it, I mean, he's even more strange. Like, Dmitry Sokolov, it's very simple as plus minus on a very bad team. But I, I don't get how he went so low. I truly don't. The only thing for Kapsov um, is the Russian factor. Yeah, that they're worried that he's going to pull a Gusev and not come yeah. over. That's the only thing. Um, moving on to Nashville. Who did you... Did you have Dante Fabro? I didn't end up going with Dante Fabro. Who it, did you go with? Was it Golvanen? That's who I went with. It was Golvanen because it is favorite yep. prospects. And how do you not like Golvanen? <laughs> yep. Eli Tolvanen is just... Oh, he's so good. He's... He's like a Tarasenko in the making. <laughs> you just watch him play and you're like, he scores goals. He just gets the puck and he scores no matter what. Yep. Whether it's like oh, a one-timer or whether he somehow gets open in the slot or he gets a little bit of space. He just has such a quick shot, such an accurate shot, such a powerful shot. Yeah. It's, I, I, I was reading a bunch of scouting reports on him not long ago. And because you and I were both high on him and didn't understand him falling in the draft. But I was reading the reports again and the amount of ones that just said pinpoint accuracy. He will find himself room with his puck handling. And the moment he sees an opening, he will shoot it and it will go in. <laughs> and it's like all of them are saying doesn't matter if the defense is not giving him room. He's got good enough puck handling and good enough skating. They're both not the skating isn't amazing. But it's good enough that with his amazing puck handling, he will score because his shot is just better than everyone else. Yeah. It just is. Yeah, you, just watch, you watch his highlights and just the way he separates himself a little bit from the defenders, just enough so he can get that quick shot off and it somehow goes bar down over the glove, top corner. It's amazing how he does it. It's just so impressive. And he's, yeah, falling to 30th for Nashville. They... God, they've got to be so happy. Yeah, yeah, I had him going to Tampa at 14 there. I had him going to Toronto at 17. So if, <laughs> we both had him go to our team. If we were if we were GMs, we wouldn't make Tolvanen look like a steal. We'd have him right at no. the right spot. Yep. I mean, both of us are happy with Calfoot and Timothy Lilligren, but oh, Tolvanen's so much fun. God, I like watching him. I can't. I'm surprised he didn't play in the playoffs for Nashville. I guess they decided a veteran presence rather than throwing an 18-year-old kid right into the playoffs. Like, I understand the concern, but I, I would have thrown him in. He, tore it, he did very well in the, in the Liga playoffs. Yep. So I would have just threw him in. Never know. Moving on, since we both had the same national prospect who is just amazing. St. Louis. I actually, I don't know if we will this one. I had probably the obvious choice in Robert Thomas. I had him too, actually. Okay. Yeah. You can, you can start him off. Okay. Robert Thomas, for those who don't know, is now 19 years old. He was 20th overall, 10 picks before Tolvanen. Mm -hmm. And coming out of the OHL, he's one of the few players who I truly believe has first-line center upside. I would agree. And yeah. I, I have him 1C, 2C, because I'm always, when it comes to naming a first-line center that isn't a Matthews or McDavid, I always have a little asterisk. But, my God, this guy is, he scores, he sets people up, he basically does every, he's definitely more of a playmaker than a goal scorer, but he does have a shot. But it's that, it's not just his offensive abilities, which are there and very good, it's that he is a fantastic two-way player. 
Mm-hmm. He just he, he's he's a Jason Dickinson in that he does everything right, but kick it up <laughs> three lines. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to that first line. Yeah, Le- like legitimately, he does everything right. You want a two-way center who has a, a really high hockey IQ, which is important because that means he can defend well in his own zone. He knows what other people are doing. He gets in lanes so he can block passes. He can block shots. You get him into the offensive zone. He sees where people are going. He doesn't need to be the best passer or the best shooter or the best anything in the world, but he's smart enough to get the puck to wherever it needs to go to get the opportunity for a goal and stop an opportunity for a goal. And that is what he does, and he does it better than pretty much anyone else in the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, yeah, no, I have a lot of the the same notes as you do. Hockey IQ and poise are elite, especially for a 19-year-old. He's definitely a playmaker. He's got good hands. But he does have the ability as well to like turn defenders inside out. He's got the quick shiftiness to him. He's very quick as a skater. Mm-hmm. And he's strong on his feet. Like he's six foot, hundred and ninety-two pounds, so he's got some decent weight to him. And he's not and afraid. He'll get heavier, he's yeah. just a kid. He's not afraid to to protect the puck and go around players, go to the dirty areas. He played a big role for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Mm-hmm. And I also had him second line center for sure. Coaches will love him. And I mean, I guess Ryan O'Reilly's there right now, but if needed, I could see him, if everything goes well, as the first-line center. Yeah, he'll definitely have some time because they do still have uh, Ryan O'Reilly and uh, Braden Shen. And even Bozak but, for a man, couple years. he's... Yep. Yeah. I mean, you think even just talking about his just plain basic stats, in London he had 46 points in 27 games, 20 of them goals. Then it took some time getting used to Hamilton after he was traded. He only had four goals in 22 games, but he still had 29 points. Then when the playoffs kicked off, he had 32 in 21, 12 goals, 20 assists. Yeah. And the guy, like, he just does it right. It's that simple. He penalty kills and he'll get you shorties. He'll power play and he'll set up your best goal scorers. If he has an opening, he'll shoot. And he's just dependable in every sense. And I mean, I I normally think of that kind of player as a 2C in most sense because those are your matchup centers. But, I mean, if you do it to a good enough extent, and I am not in any way saying he's going to get to this extent, but if you get a Ryan O'Reilly or a Bergeron-type center, you don't complain. No, exactly. <laughs> Especially when you already have Ryan O'Reilly. You could have two of them. <laughs> yeah. You'd be unstoppable. Honestly, it's, it's incredible. He's just so good. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll kick the trend of having the same player here. Winnipeg Jets, Sammy Niku. Yes, we do have different ones. Oh, my God. <laughs> we do. I almost did Mason Appleton. The same draft. One was a sixth or a fifth rounder, and one was a No, one was a sixth, and one was a seventh. But, yeah, Sammy Niku is a seventh-round pick. Oh, he's just such a modern defenseman. Mm-hmm. That, that is how I would describe him. It's that simple. He's a very good skater, an elusive skater. So he's good in the power play. And I expect, despite Bufflin and Truba and them there, He's going to get probably second-line power play eventually behind Bufflin, which they could use because that second power play unit in Winnipeg, while the first one was Shifley, Line, Wheeler, was pretty much unstoppable. That second one was basically Tampa's back when they had Kalorn on the power play. Yep. Need some work. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, Sammy Niku is just, he's a great skater. He doesn't have an elite shot by any means, but he knows how to use it and how to find holes. He put up a lot of goals in the AHL this year. 
He, I believe, was rated AHL Defenseman of the Year as a rookie, as a 20-year-old. I think so, yeah. Kind of, or 21-year-old, which kind of says something. And again, seventh round pick, just a massive, massive steal. He's six foot one, so tall, but he's pretty skinny at 176. And he just, it's pretty much that simple. He's such a good skater and such a high, similar to Robert Thomas, and a high um, hockey IQ, which helps him as a defenseman. It's that he knows when to get his stick in lanes and when to, because he's not the most physical player, how to work the gap. That's, that's his biggest strength defensively. He knows how to work gap control and say, when you need to pressure a guy and go into him, when you can let him walk off it because he's not going to blow past you, and different things like that. He's just very talented that way. And when it comes to offensively, he can quarterback for you. He can make stretch passes, and his skating is just good enough to get the puck up and create zone exits and zone entries. I mean, he's a whole package defenseman. I don't think he's the most physical or the most shutdown type defenseman there is in terms of a full proper two-way. He definitely leans offensive. But I, I do think at seventh round pick, a massive steal, a modern NHL defenseman. And I, I pencil him into second pair within a couple of years, within a year, considering how good his trajectory has been. Is he a left shot, sorry, or a right shot? He is a left shot. Yeah, I think with, with Enstrom gone, there's really only Josh Morrissey ahead of him. Yep, he, he should be able to there. leapfrog Ben Chirot and yeah. uh, Dmitry Kulikov pretty easily. Even if he starts on the third pair to start the year, which I do think he'll be in the NHL next year, he I think he'll take second pair pretty quickly. Yeah. And second power play unit. He's, he's just a great, really talented. And that was, honestly, I was looking back at the 2015 draft for Winnipeg, and my God, did they, certain drafts teams do really well. You just see Boston hit on basically every single pick they had back in 2014, and then 2015 was a bit worse. 2015 for Winnipeg, however, they drafted Kyle Connor, 17th, Jack Roslovic, 25th. So first round, you're thinking, okay, well, that's whatever. It's a first-round pick. They didn't do that well in their second and third, actually. Jansen Harkins, second round, is uh, he split time between the AHL and ECHL. I don't think he'll ever become an NHL player. Same goes for um, their third-round pick in Eric Foley. But fourth round, they draft Michael Spacek, who was playing in the Czech League, then moved to the CHL and is currently in the AHL, and he looks like a promising winger. Definitely still has NHL potential. They drafted Mason Appleton, sixth round, 168th, who was also on the all-rookie team in the AHL. First all-star team as well. So not just rookie, but first all-star team with 66 points in 76 games as a six-foot-three right-handed center. Wow. I guess that's okay. Yeah, and then, and then Sammy Niku, 198th. That was, if you think of that, uh, Roslovic, Appleton, Niku, um, Connor, and potentially, uh, what was his name, Michael Spacek. They could have five quality NHL players. Spachek's mm-hmm. probably the only one who tops out as a bottom six player. And even then, he's still got potential to be middle six. It's just not seen yet. And man, that's just, that's a hell of a draft. I guess that's an okay draft, you know? I mean, it's not great in point 48 or 79th overall, but. It might not be uh, Subban, McDonough, Pacioretty, but <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh. I mean, it's definitely not like drafting. I mean, they, got, they only got Connor and Rostovic. It's not like the Leafs drafting Tyler Biggs and Stuart Percy first round. 
I still like Percy. I really hope he gets another NHL shot. The Leafs mm-hmm. honestly really destroyed his development, but I, I still hope he gets an NHL shot. He's a good, he's very capable in the AHL. I'd like to see him get an NHL shot somewhere. He's still young enough. We'll see. Moving on to the Pacific. Oh, I didn't even do my and, Winnipeg. Oh, I thought you said you had Sammy Niku. No, I said we didn't have the same pick. Oh, sorry. Who do you have? I picked Veselainen. Oh, fair. He's twenty. He was twenty fourth pick in twenty seventeen. He's a big boy, six foot four, two hundred nine pounds. As a nineteen year old, he's a left wing, left handed shot. And last year he played in the Liga, and he put up thirty nine points in forty four games in his rookie year. Second on the team in points. Not too bad for your first year there. Went to the World Juniors, six points in five games. And watching him play as a big guy, he actually skates very well. Not just like, not just for a six foot four guy, but like as a skater, he's good. And he's mm-hmm. got very underrated hands. He tried to pull off the uh, the in between the legs deke on a breakaway as he was getting pressured. I was pretty impressed by that. He's yeah, got a pa- he's, he was a steal. Mm-hmm. At 24th, yeah. He's got a powerful, accurate shot. He also plays the right circle on the power play. He goes for the one-timer. He also has a very underrated wrist shot. And he's a goal scorer. And at 6'4", he's definitely got the, an NHL size to him already. Mm-hmm. I think maybe one year, two years at the very tops in the AHL, but I think one year in the AHL, he should be good to go in the NHL. The problem with Winnipeg is that they have so many wingers already. So maybe two years in the AHL just because their top six is already packed. Yeah, but when you need power play to help, why not get line A light? Yeah, yeah, get line A on the left. You can have Veselainen on the right. Two big boys. Yeah. It's funny. 2017, I remember for a long time they said, compared to 2015, which was an incredibly deep draft, and 2016 was pretty good as well. We were saying 2017 isn't as good, and you see it as the, the super top-tier talent, the Matthews, Lionades, Eichels, McDavid's aren't there. So then the players who are slightly lower move up. So then you look at the players who are normally, who in those drafts were top 10, maybe the top 15 people in the 2015-16 are top 10 in 2017 and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. But you look at that draft already one year removed. Nico Hishier is already looking like a one seed. Nolan Patrick, after a pretty brutal start to the season, in the second half, was as good as any other second-line center. Yeah. Miro Heiskanen's looking great. Elias Pedersen looks amazing. Elias Anderson, Casey Milstadt, Gabe Velarde, Mick, Mick, Martin Neckash at uh, 12th, Cal Foote 14th, Brandstrom 15th, amazing, and I'm going to talk about him later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liljegren, we already mentioned Robert Thomas. We mentioned Philip Cheadle last week. Uh, Veselainen, Ryan Paling, Morgan Frost we've mentioned. You already mentioned Shane Bowers. Eli Tolvan in 30th. These are all first-round players I've just mentioned, and there are a lot of other great ones, and that's literally just the first round, and they're all already looking fantastic. I mean, even the start of the second round, Connor Timmons was the first second-round pick. Yeah. Nick Haig just won OHL Defenseman of the Year. Alexi Heponiemi, who we mentioned on Florida, uh, was 40th. Like that, that draft is very quickly looking a lot better than people gave it credit for. Yeah, it already has the potential to be like one of the best drafts for the first round in recent yeah. history, I'd say. Like, I don't know if it'll properly balance, battle 2015 as well as it should because there is no McDavid, yeah. but it 
it's a very it's a very deep draft. People did not give it nearly enough credit because all the players who kind of fell through the Robert Thomases, Palings, Tolvanins, Veselinins, all those guys were twenty to thirty, and they all look like they're going to be solid top six NHL players. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the Pacific, Anaheim. I ranked Sam Steele. Sammy Steely Steele. I had him too. Sam's. Oh, you did. Yeah, why don't you take this one? I I like him because he's he's a smaller guy. He's a center. He was the thirtieth pick in twenty sixteen, so he's twenty years old right now. He was captain last year, assistant captain for two years before that. He's he's a guy that kind of goes out there. He gives it his all every shift. Mm-hmm. He puts up a lot of points: three hundred thirty-eight oh, yeah. points and two hundred fifty-eight WHL games. So he puts up points. Goes to the World Juniors, got nine points in seven. And he might have a smaller stature, but he, a lot of his goals are from crashing the net, just like I was saying with... Uh, oh, Kirill Kaprizov. Kaprizov, yes. Yeah, Steele, like, he likes to crash the net despite only being 5'11". Mm-hmm. He's got really good hockey IQ, really good hands. For a small guy, he's got good skating. Not amazing skating, but he's got really good skating. And definitely more of a playmaker. On the power play, he plays on the goal line on the left side there. So he's not a one-timer threat, as a lot of the other guys were. But he definitely sets up the power play. Definitely runs through him. Mm -hmm. And on Anaheim, I could see him, if everything goes well, as a second-line center if everything goes well, but I think maybe he'd be better suited as a winger just because he's a little bit smaller playing in Anaheim in the West. Yeah, and that's one thing, too, depending on his play style because more often than not, you don't want your center being a perimeter player, which Steele, he, he might evolve from that, but he is more of a perimeter player than a real uh, get-in-the-middle player, yeah. which you expect of a center. So... Yeah, I, I could see him moving to the wing, but that that's TBD. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely uh, still got moving time. To, moving to Arizona, honestly, there were only two prospects. I'm sorry, Arizona. There, there were so many players on ELCs at Arizona, but next to none of them, outside of Nick Merkley, who I think will make the NHL next year at some point as well, yep. that, aren't, like, that are real prospects that aren't going to be in the NHL next year. So I chose Pierre-Olivier Joseph. That's fair. Did you not pick him? I did not. Really? No. Interesting. Pierre-Louis Joseph as well was also in that first round of 2017. I don't know if I'd describe him exactly as an offensive defenseman by any means, but he's, he's a talented defenseman. That's, that's probably a proper description of Pierre-Olivier Joseph. For a yeah. tall guy, he's quite skinny, and one of the biggest things immediately after his draft and during his draft they were talking about, when he's got the height, he knows how to use his stick to defend, so he's not worried about gap control and how to use your stick to get in lanes and different things like that. But he's just so thin for a defenseman. At On draft day, for example, he's even added a bit of weight since then. But at draft day, he ranked in at six foot two, 161 pounds. That's impressive. Yeah, That's he's, he's super light, which at the NHL level, you worry about him getting pushed around. But at the same time, you look at, who was it on? Was it Michael Kempney for Chicago? Or sorry, for Washington? Who weighed like 160 pounds? That wouldn't surprise me. He's not the biggest. They guy. they have a defenseman I know that was under 170 pounds that won a cup this year, 
And even in the first thing you see about Joseph, I know this is kind of off topic about like the style of play, but literally one of the first things he said when asked about being so light, he says, I eat everything. I'm eating constantly. And my nutritionist keeps telling me, I can't believe that nothing you're eating is still adding weight. <laughs> yeah, I like feel Some that. people are just like that. And honestly, though, he's an incredibly talented two-way defenseman. He's, despite his size, people would think because of that, that since he's not that big and he doesn't play the most physical role, he's not that much of a defensive player. But he's a two-way defenseman more than an offensive defenseman. He puts up points, but the biggest thing you notice about him right off the bat is he's always where he needs to be. He's a really intelligent guy, a really high hockey IQ player. So it doesn't matter if he doesn't have the puck, which is what you want of a defenseman. He moves his feet, gets to where he needs to be, and is basically just always where you want him as a defenseman, which is arguably more important to me for a defenseman, especially as than just skating or shooting or your passing abilities. All things that are important, but as long as you're always in the right spot, I want that 10 times ahead of your just general other abilities, and especially ahead of physicality. Yeah. For so sure. yeah, I think he's a talented defenseman. I think he's going to make it as a second pair defenseman and once he reaches his potential. I... I don't think he's got that first pair ability in him. I, I mean, he can prove me wrong. That would be great. I'd love to see that. But I, I don't know if that's there. But I do think he can stick it as a second pair once he reaches his potential. And if he adds on a bit of weight so he can play a bit more physically in the NHL, I think that'll really help him solidify a top four role. I just look forward to the Matthew Joseph versus the Pure Oliver Joseph battles once they're both in the yeah. NHL. Both Josephs. He was on my list. I mentioned him last week, too. I mentioned the Joseph brothers. Yeah. Runs in the family. So who is yours? So I went with probably one of the first prospects that I really got intrigued by, I guess you could say. 2015, fifth-round pick. 5'8", 161 pounds right now. Connor Garland. Oh, was, yeah, was, you and I used to discuss him all the time. I always wondered, I remember walk, watching that draft and being like, when is Garland going to be taken? How about now? How about now? How about now? It's because he took, <coughs> in his draft year, he had 129 points in 67 games for Moncton. Almost two I points. I thought he was an overager. Oh, sorry, yeah, that was in his overage year. And then last year, I guess technically his production dropped in terms of points, but increased in points per game. He got 128 points in 62 games, so over two points per game. And just watching him play, he's what you would expect from a successful five foot eight player. Like skating is his mm-hmm. biggest asset. He's shifty. He's elusive. He's got great hands. He's a playmaker, but he can score when he needed to. In the juniors, that is. When he went to the AHL, as kind of expected, he struggled in his first year. Yeah, it hasn't transitioned as well. as I know you and I both were waiting so long mm-hmm. on him. But in the second year, a lot of people are saying that he did impress a lot of coaching staffs and scouts. Just He only got 27 points last year, but everything, everything talking about him was just saying he was relentless on the forecheck. He was trying to create offensive opportunities. He was spinning around. He was elusive, just like he was in juniors. And while he might not get a crack at the NHL level, maybe whether it be with Arizona or some other team, 
but he could end up being like a third line energy guy, kind of like a Yanni Gord. Mm-hmm. If everything goes well, I hope it does, because, I mean, he he can put up points. He did it in the in the juniors, and I think, given the right team, given the right system, I think he could produce well yeah. at the AHL and hopefully the NHL too. Yeah, and for some players, especially smaller guys, it takes time. Like Adam Brooks on the Leafs took. I don't think he scored his first goal in the AHL. He started. They didn't put him in the gym to start the season. They had him playing. He scored his first goal on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Like it took a long time for him to adjust as a small center in the AHL. But but in the playoffs especially, he really impressed people. And I don't know if Adam Brooks will ever make to the NHL. And the reason he originally came to mind was actually he and Sam Steele played together as basically two number one centers on the same team back in the WHL mm-hmm. and just dominated over there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just really depends on the team that they're on and if they're given an opportunity. Yeah. I was torn between Yusuf Valamaki and Rasmus Anderson. One's a right-handed defenseman, one's a left-handed defenseman. I picked Valamaki. Okay, good. I picked Anderson. Yeah, there we go. So he uh, he's six foot two, two hundred and eleven. So he's he's got a big body as an offensive defenseman. Nineteen year nineteen years old. It's about a point per game for Tri City. His skating, his composure are already NHL ready. He's one of the guys that on defense he just never seems to panic. He's very smooth skating, very calm with the puck. Isn't afraid to join the rush, and he he uses his size when he when he has the puck. He's not afraid to protect it and doesn't get pushed off the puck easily he has a good shot wrist shot and slap shot and projected if everything goes well i could see him as a top line left hand d yeah valamaki is um i don't know if you can still find it but there was an article on the athletic i think it was scott wheeler it might have been Corey pronman i'm not i think actually you know what it might have been pronman um, posted 10 different articles on like players who do different specific things. One was the main reason I saw them was because one of the first ones was on Grunstrom because they said basically the beginning on Grunstrom was, you know, in junior or when you're playing in beer league or wherever you're playing, there's that one guy who he's good at getting pucks on net. And that's basically his role. doesn't matter where he is on the ice. He will do everything in his power to get the puck and shoot it. And that was basically Grunstrom to the point where he made it. He can make it to the NHL. Does everything he possibly can to get the puck on the net. And basically the series was on special players, and Valimaki is one of them. So I can't exactly recall it, but if anyone's interested in Valimaki, go read the article because, yeah, he's a, an interesting player. Yeah. I think, like, in its, the best use for him would be as a number three defenseman with top power play time. But with Calgary having... TJ Brody, Giordano, and Hannafin, all lefties. I don't really know where he's going to fit in in the future. I think next year he's going to be top role in Stockton. Stockton. Two years down the road, I don't really know who's going to leave and who's going to stay to give him a spot. I don't really know. Yeah, and my and I, I did the other defense when you were discussing, the right-handed Rasmus Anderson who, with the Dougie Hamilton trade, I have to assume is going to be in the NHL next season. Yep. 
Because, yeah, it just the, the guy even had a 10-game call-up this season. He didn't get a point, actually, in his call-up, which is kind of surprising. But he's, he's a talented player, Rasmus Anderson. As you said, he's not as offensive. He's definitely a two-way defenseman. And I, before the Hamilton trade, before they lost their top right D, I was hoping for a long time that the Leafs would make a trade for him because basically everything statistically and production-wise about him was almost identical to Travis Dermott, who I love. So, yeah, Rasmus Anderson is honestly similar. He's a bit bigger. He's six foot two fifteen versus Dermott's 5'11", 205. So both thick guys who aren't the tallest, but both guys who 2015 second-round picks, offensively engaged guys who can... De- who They use their, their size, their physicality, despite not being the tallest guys, but they both have super high work ethics and can skate their way out of trouble a lot of the time. Uh, Anderson, especially, he's a really responsible defensive guy. He's one thing about him, which is a bit of a concern at the next level, and he has worked on it. He's gotten better, but we've talked a lot about players with really high hockey IQs, and it's not that he's out of position, but at times his decision-making in all three zones, especially the defensive zone, can come into question. He's not always making the smartest move. But at the same time, that is something that can be worked on, that is getting worked on. And his production has continuously increased. He was one of the best defensemen in the AHL last year. And I expect him to get probably a third pair role in the NHL to start the season and work his way to becoming a second pair right D, which I do think is his potential. Yeah, yeah. I think with the decision-making, that really, it really depends on once you get familiar with your D partner or the system mm-hmm. that you're playing, it, it takes time to kind of adjust to where everyone's going to be and where you should be playing the puck. That's something mm-hmm. that can definitely just be fixed upon as he, as he gets older and as he matures. Yeah, 100%. Um, moving to Edmonton, I chose someone who I, again, it's a 2017 first rounder who was a faller into the 20s who we thought should go sooner. Kyler Yamamoto of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, good pick. Good pick. Yeah. Kyler Yamamoto is just... God, he's fun. <laughs> That's how I would describe him. Kyler follows Jagger and my trend of small players that we really like. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto is probably the smallest player that I was taking in the first round in 2017. I'm not checking, but <laughs> I'm going to say that off the top of my head because I'm pretty confident it's true. That's probably pretty He's safe. five foot eight, 155 pounds, but the guy can play. In his draft year, he had 99 points in 65 games. This year, he had 64 and 40, but he got nine games in the NHL this season with three assists to start the year on the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know if he's going to make the NHL right off the bat this year the same way. They could give him a few games. They could not. I don't know what Edmonton's thinking is, but the guy is just, he's so shifty. He's so talented. He's such a good puck handler. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's one of those guys who's super fun to watch. Like my favorite leaf, just completely my favorite leaf to watch is Mitch Marner because when he has the puck, it's just so much fun figuring out what he's going to do because half the time he has the puck and you're expecting one thing and then he makes a perfect pass somewhere completely else or makes a little shifty move because he's not the fastest skater, Marner, but he's just, he's good at doing things to throw people off and just it surprises you. And I, obviously, I don't think Yamamoto is to that extent, but he's, he's just so skilled and so talented. 
And obviously with a guy that small, you don't want skating to be a concern, and it is not a concern of Yamamoto's. So, yeah, I, I do believe he's going to make it. I do think he's going to be an NHL player. I have him penciled in as a um, first to second line winger. I think he does have that upside. He's just so talented offensively. I, I have some concerns about his defensive acumen when he comes to the NHL level. That's partially due to size, but also he's not exactly heralded for defensive play. And considering, despite his size, he's a good skater, but it's not an amazing skater, that does worry me a bit and might limit his abilities in the NHL. I, I really think if they work enough at him, get him a good skating coach, uh, figure out his defensive work and get him to work in their system, he could be a first-line winger because he thinks the game so well and he's so talented with the puck. If he can figure out how to use the skating ability he has and improve it with the way he thinks the game to steal pucks, then he'll be a first-line winger. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I could easily see him as a second-line winger. I think he skating is something that can definitely be improved on. And I think it will be improved on. And then I think he's kind of a guy that you you don't want to put with McDavid, kind of because they're the same type of player. But if you put him with Dreisaitl on the second line, I think he could do really well. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. What about you? What was your pick? So I went with Evan Bouchard. Because oh, interesting. I try, I try to stay away from the 2018 picks, but I really like Bouchard. I mean... It was his third year in the OHL. He's a little bit older last year. But he put up 87 points in 67 games on yeah. a London team that sold most of their most of their big guys at the trade deadline last year. And he took the captaincy, captaincy there, and he excelled with it. And I think he's a type of guy that Edmonton needed, for sure. He's kind of what Justin Schultz was supposed to be. I think he can make the team sooner rather than later. He's got, he's an excellent skater. He's got great vision. His hockey IQ is very high as well. And on a power play, he he runs the power play. He's got a cannon of a shot, but he's also he can also look for that that pass as well. And I think defensively, he's not amazing, but. Like I said, he was the number one defenseman on London, and he played up to 30 minutes a night. And I think he'll go back there for another year, and he'll play another 30 minutes every game. And I think defense is something that he can work on. But once he gets that down, I think he can be top four defenseman on Edmonton. I can see him playing with Clefbaum if he's still there. And I think he'll be top power play. And having McDavid on the wing and then Bouchard running the point, I think their power play should be set for a while. Oh, yeah. I like him. Yeah, it's quite the player. Uh, moving to L.A., uh, this pick might surprise some people, and it's one that I've more or less stayed away from when we're doing just top players or for just a single top favorite. But I decided to go for a goalie here, and I decided to go just... for Cal Peterson. Yeah, that's fair. I like him. Cal Peterson is a good goalie. He had his AHL rookie season just this year, but he's a bit older because he played his full four NCAA years. And he did well on the Ontario Reign. He's not going to be in the NHL next year with the Quick and Jack Campbell finally getting his chance to be an NHL backup duo. But he's going to be in the AHL next year. He's talented in that sense, and I think he will eventually become a backup goalie, be it with 
the LA Kings or with another NHL franchise. But he was a fifth-round pick back in 2013. And after playing uh, three years at the University of Notre Dame, he ended up spurring the Buffalo Sabres, saying, no, I don't want to be a goalie for you, and choosing to play for the LA Kings. And as a Leafs fan, I just kind of take a a little bit of joy in the guy Mm -hmm. spurring a team that needs goalies to go for a team that has goalies. Yeah, to go play behind Jonathan Quick, but not really behind him because you're in the AHL and he's in the NHL. It was an interesting choice, but he, he's a talented player. I think whether it's in L.A. or not, he's going to get a chance to make the NHL at some point in his career. So I'm not too worried about that for him. And the thing about them is they've actually got a lot of goalies over there. They've still got Peter Budai, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, they just traded for him. Yep, and they've got uh, Jacob Ingham, who they drafted this year, and a couple other goalies they've been drafting recently, I guess, trying to prepare themselves for what happens if um, when Quick starts to decline. They, they've drafted a goalie in 97, 98, 99, and 2000. <laughs> They're not taking it slow on drafting goalies. And two of those, the 97 and the 99, or were signed to ELCs. So they're trying to do their best. And Peterson, basically back on him, he's a good goalie. He's a hybrid goalie. He's not the biggest at six foot one, not the heaviest either. But he's a he's a catches right, and he just he does the game well. He does and yeah, Jagger, well. this one catches right is not normal, correct? I believe so. I catch yeah. left. And I'm yeah, normal. he's he's a right catch, so he has the blocker mm-hmm. hand on his left hand. Yeah, yeah, so he does the little thing, which can throw people off. I feel like it would throw me off if I'm used to throwing glove side and then it's blocker side instead. Oh, it does, it does for sure. Especially for for the goal scorers, they they like to shoot low blocker, just above the pad, and then you throw a lefty goalie in there and it changes everything. Yep. Moving on, who is your LA pick? Was it Gabe Velarde? It was not Gabe Velarde. I I stepped with. I kept with the uh, smaller defenseman. I went with Kale Clegg. Oh, good pick. I like him a lot. He's a mobile left-handed defenseman. He was 2016 second-round pick. I think that's a steal already. He's got tremendous vision. He's a great skater. He's got he's got really good hands. He's a playmaker. The thing I like about him the most is, especially on the power play, it's like Sergachev, how he's not afraid to deke at the blue line. Whether it's he gets the puck at the point and he does a spin or he does a fake slap shot and then walks around the defender, he's very mobile with the puck. And I think that opens up a lot of lanes, especially on the power play. He His shot isn't really the greatest. He could probably work on it. But his skating, is, his hockey IQ is all there. Defensively, he's reliable. I'm not going to say he's fantastic, but he's reliable. He went to Team Canada. He had a big role for Team Canada there in the World Juniors. He did. And he, he excelled. He did have a quite big role. And I think he'll need a couple of years in the AHL to kind of get used to playing against men instead of instead of boys. But he's, he's kind of like a Samuel Girard in Colorado. We talked about him for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if he can adjust like Girard did, I think... Those are very two similar players, and I think he could be a top forward D-man. More likely second pair, but run a power play as well. Yeah. I like the way he plays. Uh, Moving on to the San Jose Sharks. 
So this week, I have decided for San Jose to try to redeem myself for a name that I had a lot of trouble saying before. In Jaden Halgavox. There you go. I think, I think you Chris, nailed it. if I'm saying it wrong this time, Jaden Halgavox, it's because your pronunciation thing was incorrect. <laughs> no, it sounds so, perfect. So, yeah, Jaden Halgavox is a left-wing slash center. He's currently 21 years old, but went undrafted. Uh, he was originally 2015 eligible, and he played in the WHL last year, but he's moving to the AHL this year after San Jose signed him, obviously as an undrafted free agent. And he, again, follows the trend of undersized players. He's a little guy. He's only five foot eight, 160 pounds, so he's not small and built, but just generally a smaller player. But he really destroyed at the... WHL level the last couple of years. In his draft season, there's a reason he went undrafted. He had eight points in 59 games on Moose Jaw. Not bad at all. The next season, he jumped it up to 41, then 101. In this season, 129 with 70 goals in 72 games. Wow. So, yeah, it's kind of unreal. And Jaden Halgavox, he says he likes to model his game after Johnny Gaudreau, but I was reading some talk from his coaches about him. Because it's always interesting when these smaller, undrafted guys get drafted. And again, he's a skill player. The, the one another reason why it took him a while was skating was never his strongest asset. It's something he's been working at and he is working at. And the, a good thing for him that will help him move on to the AHL and NHL is defense, despite his size, isn't an issue for him. His skating is good, but not great, which is often a detriment to small players to struggle to make it into the NHL. But he's very active with his stick. He's got really good uh, vision and hockey IQ. And he's just super talented with the puck. And because of that, when he has the puck, he's able to get away from defenders very well, even if his skating isn't like some guys. He's not a Braden point in terms of that. But he's still talented enough to get away from defenders and make an opportunity, make a pass, or use his shot, which has consistently improved to becoming a very deadly wrister. And he's got a slapper on it, too. But defensively, he like, he's very good at basically staying in position. He's, obviously, he's not going to be the most physical player, although an interesting note for it is a lot of his goals actually come from crashing the net despite being 5'8". <laughs> he's a small guy, but he's not, he's not worried to engage physically, but at the same time, he's never the one to initiate physicality is an interesting point. And one thing his coaches said that was intrigued me, as a Moose Jaw Warrior, they kept saying last year and in 16-17, uh, the year before that, they kept saying, look at Braden Point, who was also a Moose Jaw Warrior with him, and saying, see what he's doing? You could do that. Just keep working, and you can be Braden Point, <laughs> which I thought was a fun note, and That's makes fun. me wonder why Tampa didn't sign him and make him Braden Point. You should have tried. Shut up. I mean, oh, well. if anybody needs help on skating, they go to Tampa, and even though Toronto works with the exact same person, when they're Tampa doing it, suddenly they become amazing. <laughs> I mean, she worked wonders for Travis Dermott, to be fair. But man, she has not turned our Freddie Gauthier into a Braden Point yet. Not yet. She's working on Sosanov, though. So we'll see how that yeah, goes. Yeah, Sosanov's looking good. It's looking very good, actually. But, actually, to go on the opposite side of the size spectrum, I had a tough time with San Jose. I don't know many of their prospects. None of them really looked familiar. No, no Guelph Storm players? <laughs> well... We went with favorite prospects in the West. So I decided to do Ryan Merkley dot 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 in the offensive zone. 
<laughs> I figured that was the only thing I could really do. So <laughs> the 2018-21st overall, he's a smaller guy. He's not six foot eight like Sosanoff. He's five foot ten, 170 pounds. In his rookie year last year, 67 points in 63 games. Second on the team as a rookie, despite only one point behind in four fewer games. And in the offensive zone, he's a slick skater. Like, his edge work is fantastic. Vision, I had said it's top dollar. He always finds a way to, to thread the needle. He hits yeah. that backdoor pass almost every Passing time. Passing otherworldly. Just always finds a way. Like I was saying about Kale Clegg, how he gets the puck at the blue line. He's not afraid to make a spin, do a deke, fake slap shot, anything to kind of find an open lane to his teammates. It's just playmaking is is almost unmatched, really, in the OHL. Or in the OHL, for sure, it's it's unmatched, I'd say. Yeah, I, I heard people talk about in the 2017 gra- draft class, including Rasmus Dahlin, in the offensive zone, Ryan Merkley might be the best player. Yeah. In the offensive zone. In the offensive zone, which is why he's so my favorite. So who is your uh, favorite my... prospect in the neutral and defensive zone? I haven't got to that yet. Well, <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> yeah. So, so the down parts I have is the offensive zone is only one third of the ice, and my projected forum is top four power play specialists if everything goes right, and ESPN thirty for thirty. What happened to Ryan Merkley if things don't go right? <laughs> so we'll to see. his defense, he impressed at development camp and got his ELC as we already discussed. It's impressive that he got his ELC, but I mean. What are they going to say when the media asks about him? Oh, he isn't what we expected. Oh, he he isn't good. He didn't handle situations well. But the fact uh, that he did get that ELC does prove that he, he is improving. He is. Or they uh, at least saw something in him. Yeah, moving on to the Vancouver Canucks. I, I debated really hard on talking about a goalie again here in Thatcher Demko who I do believe could take over as a starting goalie as soon as next year, although I think they are going to give him one more year in the AHL. Uh, I decided against that because I, I just couldn't not pick Elise Pettersson. I, I couldn't do it. I didn't even debate. I just picked Pettersson, and I was like, you can't. Uh, it's, it's mainly because after watching the Marlies playoff run, the, the only real time in the first three rounds the Marlies had their backs against the wall was because of how absolutely incredible Thatcher Demko was in Utica, in the two games in Utica. He was unreal. It was impossible to get the puck past him. But I, even with that, and watching firsthand how good he was, it's just Elias Pettersson. I mean, man, is he good. The first thing I wrote here in my notes is, is it possible to get a steal at fifth overall? <laughs> because Honestly, I think he though. is. I think he is. He I mean, would you rather Elias Pettersson or Kale McCarr? Elias Pettersson, therefore, is a steal at fifth overall. I guess, yeah, Done. technically. <laughs> I mean, 56 points in 44 games to lead the SHL last year. As a rookie. Breaking almost every U20 record. Playoffs 19 and 13, breaking more records. Yeah, ju- just to say this, this is what his 2017-18 uh, year was in review. SHL best junior as according to EliteProspects.com, but SHL best plus minus, SHL champion, SHL forward of the year, SHL most goals by a junior, 24, SHL most points, 56, SHL most points by a junior, 56, SHL MVP, SHL playoffs MVP, 
SHL Rookie of the Year, Swedish Forward of the Year. At the World Juniors, sadly, Sweden lost and only got a silver medal. There was a lot to talk about medals there. So then he went to the World Championships and won gold. Most recent article that you can find on him is Elias Pettersson, Swedish Hockey's new golden boy. Yeah. And, oh my god, he's just so fantastic at everything. You know, produced, like, Peter Forsberg, the Sedin twins, Axel Holmstrom in the playoffs. Every record, he's just broken, and every scouting report, every report, everything talking about him is just so positive, how he's, every zone, he's so smart, he's shifty, he's creative, he's skilled, he works like a dog, he's a threat on the power play. (laughs) He does everything so well. He's just the top-line center already. Yeah, I, he's, and this is where I wanted to say, on, on a couple different players, I had 2C slash 1C slash sometimes a first-line wing. Like Casey Middlesat, I said, because of Eichel, he's 2C, then first-line wing, then wing. When it came to um, Philip Cheadle, I said 2C. Maybe he could be a 1C, but I'm still not confident enough to just put him that way. Robert Thomas, I had 1C slash 2C. Elias Pettersson is the only player through all of the prospects who I said, that's it, you're a first-line center, and that's all there is to it. One Nothing C, else. There's... One C, exclamation mark. One C, exclamation mark. One factorial, one. Yes. There's a one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a math joke for you, Chris and Rebecca, who both would get the joke. That's perfect. Yeah, um, yeah he's just amazing. Actually, you talk about work ethic, which just reminded me of the one thing that I was thinking about Halgavox that I can remember was in talking about Braden Point, the coaches all said, nobody on the Moose Jaw Warriors has ever worked as hard as Halgavox off the ice. Because he's 5'8", 160, they say, to improve his skating, nobody puts in more reps at the gym trying to become a stronger player or puts in more effort when they're on the ice trying to become better. Which just makes me, again, wonder why Tampa didn't turn him into another Braden Point. Mm -hmm. But anyways... Moving on to the final team, and again, how we just talked about the only person I had as a plain 1C, I'm going to talk about the only person who I have as a plain first line defense, or first pair defenseman. And this, and I loved Elias Pettersson too, I loved Eli Tolvanen, I loved Timothy Lilligren. My favorite prospect in the 2017 draft when it happened was Eric Brandstrom. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I, and there are a lot of amazing players. We've gone through it several times. Casey Middlestat, but see, I I had him too, but I am not. I am not as high up as you are, Anna. I know, but <laughs> I think he's, I know you aren't, and I know other people player. aren't. But he's the thing is, as well, people I feel have underestimated him for two reasons. One, he's a five foot ten defenseman. 175 pounds, so he's shorter and he's not heavy. But not to met, but the one thing a lot of people I think were forgetting about um, Eric Brandstrom was his age, which matters at this stage in the game. Eric Brandstrom was only two weeks. If he was born two weeks later, he would have been drafted in 2019 or 2018. Mm-hmm. For one, he's he was one of the youngest players in the draft. And he played in the SHL in his draft season, 35 games. Then last year, he played 44 games, 15 points as a defenseman, as an 18-year-old the entire season, which is just fantastic. At the World Juniors, they had a lot of fantastic defensemen, including Rasmus Dahlin, 
Darlene often didn't lead them in ice time. It was Eric Brandstrom. Some games he did, Darlene. The other games, it was Eric Brandstrom. Because Brandstrom was just so, so good. And if he does get loaned to the World Juniors next year, I do expect he and Timothy Liljegren will make their top pair. And my, oh my, does that excite me. Because he is... We talked about a modern defenseman earlier. Often we're talking about small, undersized guys. This is that to the extreme. He's a puck-moving defenseman. He's a fantastic skater. His offensive instincts and his hockey IQ are just fantastic. He's not the best defensive player in the world, but for a small 18-year-old, I think that's more or less to be expected. He does at the same time. While I say it's not the best, at the World Juniors, you wouldn't have guessed that. He can defend as well as anybody his own age. He's just not at the level you want for him to be in the NHL yet next year. But even then, he had four points in seven games the World Juniors. He was playing a top role as an 18-year-old who can still go back for one more year. Uh, Sorry, he can, yeah, one more year at the World Juniors he still has. He's not not the strongest guy yet, but that will come with age. And he's actually packed on weight. I said before, he was 5'10", 170. According to his most recent weigh-in at development camp, he's 5'10", 181. So he's already packed on eight pounds, yeah. His passing is fantastic. He's got a good shot. You you pay attention to his shot. It's not the hardest thing in the world, but it's good. And for a power play quarterback, you're getting your money's worth. I just think I think you for him to be a first pair, yeah, maybe you need someone who's slightly more defensive. I mean, I know that I'm higher on him than most, but he's just such an elusive skater, so fast, so good at getting out of his zone. And for me, when I'm judging defensemen, a big thing for me is how good are they denying zone entries? Are they forcing dump-ins and then getting back to the puck quickly? And are they able, when they get the puck, are they just dumping out? Or are they, eight, which sometimes is icings or you're just giving it away, are you able to just get out of your zone cleanly and transition the puck into the offensive zone and set up there? And he's just so talented at that and creating space for his teammates. It's just, I, I really do believe he's a first-pair defenseman. I, I see it. See, the only, hesit- the only thing I'm hesitant about is... Same thing with Boquist. It's he's he's a power play guy, and I agree. Like he's a fantastic skater. He's very agile. He's very very elusive. He's got great stick handling, but he's very good at open ice with the puck on a stick. You're concerned about the small and NHL I'm, ice exactly. with no time. I'm concerned about when he comes to the AHL. How is he gonna do when he gets the puck and there's someone on him? How's he going to do playing against men? How's he going to do when there's not... I mean, the SHL 80... is against men. Yeah, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> how's he going to do when... Just didn't want a when, shot taken at the SHL. Yeah, when, the, uh, when the offensive zone isn't twice as big. I know it's not twice as big, but exaggeration here. It's, yeah. a, it's a completely different game once you factor in how small the North American ice is compared is. to... But again, like if he can adapt to it, it'll be harder since he is a smaller guy. But if he can adapt to it, then I could see him as a top pair, as like a mm-hmm. Toby Enstrom kind of kind of defender. Isn't Toby Enstrom a defensive defenseman? Enstrom? It's funny. He he gets labeled as an offensive defenseman who's small. kind of gone down with age, and he put up a lot of points in his youth. Like, he had a 50-point season back in Atlanta, but in his later years in Winnipeg, have you, if you've ever looked at shot charts with him on the ice, nobody shoots the puck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
he shut yeah. like it's funny because he went from being a super offensive guy to probably still having those instincts but through injuries and aging and different things it just wasn't there as much and man nobody shoots the puck with tobias enstrom on the ice anymore yeah, yeah <laughs> kind of funny of his, how that happened a lot of the stats people really like i really like him for yeah yeah definitely but the, the thing for Bofus that i will say one difference is Bofus is known as having legitimate defensive concerns in the shl Brandstrom doesn't have that. There's concerns, of course, with a small defenseman moving to the NHL, but there's no concern with his abilities at the SHL level defensively, which Boakvist there were. And another thing, because they're actually, the reason I'm talking about them is because they're good comparables, actually. Both were some of the younger players in their draft year in August 2000 and September 99. Both small right, or right and left-handed, both small defensemen from Sweden. But again, for... Bokvist, he played 15 SHL games this season, produced one assist out of it, while Eric Brandstrom put up six points in 35. One of them was a goal, so that'd be about like 2.33 to six points, and broke out with 15 this season and had a huge job in the World Juniors. So we won't have an exact comparable between the two since Bokvist is making the jump to the London Knights. But again, if Bokvist can be a top four defenseman if things work well, I think Brandstrom can be a number one defenseman, or not a n- number one, but a, a top pair defenseman if things yeah. work well. One That's thing, how I put it. One thing that I did find interesting was that despite Brandstrom playing the entire season in the SHL, he did just get drafted in the import draft by Brandon, and the assistant GM of Vegas owns Brandon. So it's going to be interesting if they talk to him and saw if he wants to come over to North America. And if he's going to play in the AHL or in the WHL. I feel like he'd, he'd rather play in the Swedish Hockey League than come to the OHL, considering how well he's doing there. WHL. Like, if you want to... Or, sorry, the WHL. If you want to transition, I don't see why he wouldn't go to the Chicago Wolves of the OHL then. Since he is a Swedish AHL. player, he is eligible <laughs> of the... A- God damn it, of the AHL. <laughs> so, yeah. Ideally, that would be the best place for him, I think. I, I agree. not, in the WHL. Mm-hmm. I just want to see him on, on North American ice before I label him as a top pair defenseman or not. That's fair. I just, I, I really think he's got that upside. I think it's there. And that team is not exactly a star-studded Chicago Wolves roster. No. I think, and I think it'll be pretty interesting to see how he slides in. Because the funny part is, if I had a choice, I'd have him and fellow 2017 draftee Nick Haig being almost an opposite. Both offensive-minded, but Haig being just such a big guy and Brandstrom can kind of, if they can both work on their defensive end together, then they could be a great pair. It's just, they're both left-handed. It's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, they have Zach Leslie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's ready. No, he's 24 years old. 17, 17 points in 27 games on the Chicago Wolves this year. That's, That's actually really actually good. Impressive, yeah. yeah, he had 5 and 26 on the Ontario Reign and LA system before they traded him to the Chicago Wolves. And he had 17 and 27 and had three and three playoff games. Wow. Good for you, Zach Leslie. Maybe he is ready. Good for you. For those wondering, Zach Leslie was a sixth round pick back in 2013 of the LA Kings coming out of the Guelph Storm. So. Hey, buddy. Yeah, that, good for him. But yeah, other than that, they've got guys like Griffin Reinhardt in the AHL. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not much. Philip Holm was there, but I'm pretty sure he's gone back to... Yeah, I think he uh, 
Yeah, he signed in the KHL, so he's not coming back. I think he wasn't happy that he only played in one NHL game, despite doing quite well in the AHL all season. So he's decided to head home to the KHL. Oh, well, anyways, that concludes our podcast for the day. Oh, Chris will be joining us. Yes, that is the announcement we should make. Thank you. (laughs) For our Christopher listener, Christopher will be joining us next week when the Blue and White podcast becomes the Bleu Blanc et Rouge podcast. I like it. Yeah, we're bringing on a Montreal fan to turn us from Blue and White to Blue, Right and Red. So that is our podcast for the day. There, There was no Carlson trade, so if anybody emailed... You were wrong unless you emailed specifically to say there is no Carlson trade. Then you win. And nobody sent that email. So <laughs> I am sorry. But looks like we're the winners for not sending an email to ourselves. Woo. Good job, us. Yeah, so uh, that concludes our podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And we'll listen in next week when we bring in Chris for the Bleu Blanc et Rouge podcast. And have a wonderful day. Uh, wee, wee, wee. <laughs>